Hi everyone, this is uh, Daf Yomi, one week at a time, Masechet Gitin. Uh, this is our second class, and today we are going to be reviewing Daf 8 through 13. So uh, I included tomorrow's Daf as well. Um, and then next week we'll go back to our regular day of Tuesday. Um, so we were in the middle of discussing uh, when last let's go back for a second last week we learned that if an agent brings a get from overseas to israel so then the agent has to say that he saw uh, the get being written uh, and the get being signed now we're trying to define what does it mean coming from outside of israel uh, what is considered israel and what's considered outside of Israel. So yesterday, last week, we ended with a discussion about a get being written on a boat, uh, and the boat was in a river. Now the question is, we, we discussed maybe the boat being in Israel on a river, uh, and the Gemara on Daf 8 tells us that a boat that's in a river in Israel is considered like it's in Israel. Uh, there's a machloket, there's a disagreement about uh, what if it's in the Mediterranean Sea, meaning opposite uh, Israel, but in the sea itself. Uh, so there are, actually, there are actually two opinions, right? Let's say we have an island in the middle of the sea. Uh, if it's within a certain area, then it's considered Eretz Israel, it's considered Israel. Um, and it could be that if you drew a line uh, from the, the top, I put a picture here, from the top, right, the northern part of Israel, down to the, part, the southern part of Israel, um, then the, the enclosed uh, sea area would be considered in Israel. Another opinion is it actually goes along the entire Mediterranean Sea, as long as it's in line with uh, the borders of Israel. As you see here, there's an upper border and a lower border. And if you extend that area all the way across, uh, the Gemara says all the way to the Atlantic Ocean, uh, then any get that was written in one of those islands would be considered in Israel. Um, sorry. Um, another opinion is no, uh, it would have to be much closer to Israel to be considered within Israel. Another area that comes into discussion in the Gemara is uh, the area of Syria. Uh, in, in the Gemara, it's called Surya, and it's actually um, really uh, an in-between area, right? It's the area north of Israel, and it's not, uh, it was not conquered by Yehoshua, but it was conquered by David. So it's seen as, sometimes it's seen as Israel, and sometimes it's seen as outside of Israel. So the Gemara gives examples. Syria is seen as outside of Israel in three ways. One is that the earth, the dirt of Syria is impure, like outside of Israel. And if you sell a slave to somebody in Syria, 
it's as if you sold the slave outside of Israel and therefore you get penalized. And if you bring a get from Syria, it's as if you brought it from outside of Israel. However, it's also seen as, uh, as, as part of Israel in three ways. One is for the idea of Maaser and for Shemitah. Uh, when it's for Maaser and Shemitah, anything grown in Syria is seen as if it was grown in Israel. Um, that's number one. Number two, you could actually remain pure Tahor when you're in Syria. And buying land there is like buying land around Jerusalem. Uh, and the Gemara is going to explain what each of these things is. What does it mean that you can remain pure if you're in Syria? We just said that the land, the dirt of Syria is seen as impure. Uh, so the Gemara explains that if you go into Syria, um, but you're, let's say, in a carriage or in an enclosed space where you do not touch the ground, so then it's seen as if uh, you have not touched the ground and therefore you remain pure, uh, as opposed to if you were outside of uh, Syria or Israel, even the airspace of Utzla'aretz, what's called right outside of Israel, would make you impure. And we said that um, buying land in Syria is as if you're buying land around Jerusalem. What does that mean? So the Gemara explains that you can actually write the sale document or have the sale document written by a non-Jew on Shabbat in order to buy the land, meaning it's so important to buy this land um, because we want it inhabited by Jews uh, that we, again, a, a Jew cannot write the sale document, but you could get a non-Jew to write it on Shabbat. Now, what happens, we had uh, mentioned last week, but we're going to discuss it much more this week. Um, we're going to compare the get, the woman's uh, divorce document, to the slave's emancipation document, what's called a get shichrur, right? Get, again, the word get means document. Shichrur means to be set free, right? So nowadays when uh, the kids, uh, the, the, the people who are in the army, uh, they always ask, when are you going to be, right? Meshukrar. Meshukrar means, when are you going to be freed, right? Or let go from the army. Um, so um, it's interesting to, to see that it's the same word, get shikhrur, uh, for a slave. So if a slave brings his get shikhrur, um, so then um, let's say it says, you, right, let's say this document says, you and all my property are yours, right? Meaning the, the master says, you and all everything that I have, I'm giving to you. So the Gemara explains that the slave is free, but the slave does not get all the property because we believe, it's interesting here, the Gemara says we believe the slave about the document about himself about himself to set him free but 
we do not um, we do not accept the document for the property um, because for the property we would need a regular uh, authentication of the document um, and it's not enough to just present it. Uh, Naomi just asked right if someone lives there would they have a second day yonta? Um, that is an excellent question. I am not sure of the answer but I think I would say that they probably do not have a second day um, only because of what we said in terms of Shemitah and Maaser uh, then it makes me think that the, the land is seen as Israel because it was conquered by David. Um, so I think it is seen as Israel, but it's an excellent question. I'll, I'll try to look it up. Um, okay, so let's go back to this slave. Uh, so we said, if the slave brings a document, um, the slave is freed, but he does not get all the property. Let's say the document says, it only says, all my property is yours. So now the question is, do we split that statement and say, all the property is yours, really what does it mean? It means um, you are free and you inherit all my property. So the question is, is all my property yours? Is that seen as one statement? And then if it's one statement and he can't inherit the property, so then he doesn't go free? Or can we split it into two statements, and then he does go free. Um, again, because we said that he cannot acquire the property from this document. So the Gemara says, according to Rabbi Shimon, you, you can split the statement into two. Uh, the, the term for this in the Gemara is palginan dibura, right? literally meaning to split the dibur, the, the statement, uh, and Rabbi Shimon says that you can um, basically say that even though he made one statement, it's split into two, um, right? So all my possessions to you means really you are free and the possessions are yours. Um, okay, so then the Gemara says um, on Daf 9, um, let's say a person is on their deathbed. Uh, this is called a shchiv mira. Um, there is a very uh, unique um, uh, situation where when a person is on their deathbed, uh, their statements are taken 100%. Even if they don't do exactly what um, a regular person would do, uh, we allow them to get away with a lot more. So let's say a person is on their deathbed and they give all of their possessions to their slave, right? So this is a, a similar case, but then the person recovers uh, and they don't die. Again, it's important to understand deathbed means literally going to die any minute. It doesn't mean, uh, you know, you having a terminal illness that you might die in six months. Um, but let's say for some miraculous reason, this person recovers. So then the person can take back all of their possessions, but the slave remains free because the Gemara says once the slave receives emancipation, then that's it. He's already a Jew and therefore you cannot take him back. Um, it is important to recognize, I should have said this earlier, when we talk about slaves uh, in this situation, 
we're talking about what's called an Eved Kna'ani, which means uh, a slave um, who was a Canaanite, someone who lived in Israel who was not Jewish. And the rule is, or the law is, that um, when this person is set free, uh, they actually become Jewish. Uh, the idea is that for the years that they lived with their master, uh, they need to keep certain mitzvot, right? They keep Jewish law. They actually have to be put in a mikvah. Uh, and it's seen as almost like a quasi-conversion. Uh, and when they're set free, they actually become Jews. And this is going to have many um, practical implications. So number one is that if the person on their deathbed set him free, uh, he remains free. Um, okay, um, let's say that um right if a husband says uh ah and we this is going back to something we discussed last week um if the husband says that the get is forged here we're talking about the get for divorce if he says that the get is not real he didn't divorce his wife so then we need to authenticate the signatures and we're going to talk about more of that uh later on today Okay, let's go to the next Mishnah on Daf 9. If an agent can't say that he saw the, uh, the document being written and signed, then, as I just mentioned, we have to authenticate the signatures. Now, you can imagine this is not so simple. Again, this is coming from outside of Israel, so it's far away. There's no internet. There's no phones. How are we going to authenticate signatures? Um, and the Mishnah ends by saying that a get shichrur, again, the emancipation document, is similar to the get nashim, to the divorce document, and also needs the same statement, befanai nechtav, right, that the agent saw it being written. Um, or uh, if you can't say the declaration, so then you need to authenticate the signatures. Okay, so the Gemara explains, um, what does it mean that the agent can't say the declaration, right? What does it mean he can't say that he saw the document being written? Um, we actually mentioned this last week. Um, the case is that uh, when he was getting the document, he was um, he saw it being written and he saw it being signed. Uh, but by the time he gets, the agent gets to uh, Israel to deliver the get, he is now a deaf mute, a cheresh. He's a deaf mute. And as we mentioned last week, a deaf mute is not allowed uh, to say that they saw it uh, being written and signed because they're not seen as uh, valid agents for this get, uh, and therefore they need to authenticate the signatures. Um, we said that the emancipation document is similar to the divorce document, and the Gemara tells us that it's similar in three ways. Um, the way that it's brought is number one. Number two, if one of the witnesses on the document is a kuti, if you remember, kuti is a, the kutim were a nation that, a people that lived in Israel, uh, and they convert uh, under duress, 
Uh, and all throughout the Gemara, there's actually different opinions as to how Jewish are they. Uh, sometimes the Gemara sees them as Jews. Uh, sometimes we see them as non-Jews. Uh, basically, depending on what we're talking about, it seems that they adhered to certain laws, uh, but not to other laws. Um, so if one of the signatures on the document is a Kuti, then it in general would be invalid for a regular document, but it is valid for these two documents. Again, for emancipation and for um, for emancipation and for um, a divorce document. And three, um, a regular document um, that comes from a non-Jewish court is valid, meaning uh, any type of, let's say, sale or loan, uh, that document can be written in a non-Jewish court. However, um, these two documents, again, emancipation and divorce, cannot be, um, are not valid if they come from a non-Jewish court, and they must be signed by Jews. Um, the Gemara explains that why for other documents would it be okay for monetary issues? Uh, we have a famous concept uh, in Aramaic, the phrase is dina de malchuta dina, which means din, right, the law or the justice system of the malchut, of the kingdom, is seen as law, din, right? It's seen as law, meaning if you live in a country uh, that has a non-Jewish justice system, you need to keep those rules and laws, right? So if you live in America, you must pay taxes, uh, right? You can't say, oh, I'm Jewish, I have a different set of laws, right? The, the Gemara already says, if you live outside of Israel, uh, or uh, if, you're, right, if you live anywhere where there is a non-Jewish um, government with its own rules and system, you must abide by those laws uh, because we need to be functional members of society uh, and not see ourselves as above uh, that society. So that's a very important lesson here. Um, and therefore, any monetary document from the non-Jewish courts, right, what we would call civil courts, uh, is valid, but an emancipation document and a bill of divorce, a document of divorce, must be done in a Jewish court. Um, Rabbi Meir adds a fourth uh, similarity in that a person can retract um, can retract the get as long as the agent hasn't given it to the wife or the slave yet. Um, but the sages disagree, and we're actually going to see this Mishnah uh, in a few minutes. Um, okay, the, however, the sages, the Chachamim, disagree, uh, and we'll see that in the next Mishnah. Um, Rabban Gamliel says that for a get nashim, for a divorce, if a person doesn't know how to sign their names, so then you can etch the letters onto the document, and the person fills them in. Um, so that would be okay for, divor for divorce, but it would not be okay for a regular document 
or for a get shichrur, for emancipation, meaning the person needs to know how to sign their names, right? The idea here is we want to make it as easy as possible for this woman to get divorced, right? If that's really what they want. Um, so we're going to try to make it as easy as possible for her. Um, so the next statement in the Gemara is if witnesses don't know how to read, um, then uh, again, they're signing a document. Uh, the assumption is they should be able to read the document or at least know what the document says. Um, so if they can't read the document, so then um, it will be uh, read to them. Um, and they, so they read the document to them and then they can sign, right? Or, right, another opinion in the Gemara is that if they can't read it uh, or if they can't sign it alone, they cannot sign the document, right? Meaning we want to make sure that whoever signs a document understands what they are doing. Um, okay, if a person, ah, so as we mentioned, uh, so now we have a person sending a get nashim or shichrur with an agent and then the person, the man died. So now the question is, what do we do with this document? So the Gemara tells us that you do not give the wife or the slave the document, um, but uh, so you don't give it to them, period. But if a person says, give this money to so-and-so, uh, and then they, the person dies, so you actually still give the money to so-and-so, uh, because again, that is seen as a um, gift from someone on their deathbed. Uh, and as we mentioned before, a gift from, excuse me, a gift from someone on their deathbed is a valid gift. However, right, why can't you get divorced if he died? Because as soon as he dies, the woman is a widow, right? She is not. Uh, she is not married to him anymore. She does not need a divorce. That's number one. And the slave cannot be freed because as soon as the man dies, now his son or sons uh, or, or daughter, right, depending on who's left in the family, but his child inherits him. Uh, and now the, the slave belongs to the child and can no longer be freed. Um, so the, the wife and the slave cannot get that um, that document. Um, according to Rabbi Elazar, um, according to Rabbi Elazar, the um, witnesses of the delivery of the get is what validates the get. Uh, and we're going to learn this later on uh, in the Masechet. Uh, this is called Edei Misira, when there are witnesses who watch the, the agent deliver the get, that makes it a valid get. Therefore, according to Rabbi Elazar, even if a non-Jew signed the get, it's still, um, it's still seen as valid. Okay, I see a few more questions. Um, Zohar asks if, um, if he dies, does a woman get her ketuva money? Uh, the answer is yes. Uh, the answer is yes, meaning, she, well, Again, she, she gets her ketuvah money from the inheritance um, or the children support her as long as she's in the house uh, or till she gets remarried, meaning if she gets remarried, they do not have to support her anymore. Um, okay, 
it is effective when the document is received then, um, not when executed. Exactly, Naomi. Um, so, a cor- again, this is a machloket. We're not going to really discuss, I mean, we're discussing it right now, but we're going to learn the source um, later on in the Masechet. But there is a debate, what makes the divorce uh, valid? Is it the writing and signing of the document, or is it the giving over of the document, uh, which is why nowadays uh, we do everything at the same time, meaning the get is written, signed, and uh, delivered all within the same um, ceremony, um, because it, really it is a machloket. We'll see it later on in the Masechet. Um, but there are, again, practical applications. If it's the writing and the signing that make it valid, so then the writing needs to be valid and the signing needs to be valid. If it's about handing it over, so then those witnesses need to be valid witnesses, but everyone else, not as much, um, which is why, according to Rabbi Elazar, even a non-Jew can sign the get. Obviously, the other side of the machloket would disagree, right, that it really is about the signing of the document and not, you know, the technicality of, of handing it over. Um, okay, Daf 10, we have a new Mishnah. Um, any document, and we've mentioned this already, any document that's signed by a Kuti is invalid, except for the divorce get or the emancipation document. Uh, this is according to Rabban Gamliel, right? Rabban Gamliel accepted a get like this um, and said that this was okay. Uh, so the Gemara explains uh, that this is really a uh, discussion about the kutim, right? There's a machloket if you can use um, a kuti matzah um, as uh, uh, on Pesach, right? Again, we're very careful with our matzah on Pesach. What if the kuti made the made the matzah? Um, can you eat it or not? Right? And and the the question is, right? Were they careful about keeping Jewish law or no, right? And the Gemara basically says, uh, right, some people believe they kept everything. Others said um, the ones that they kept, they kept well, but um, they didn't keep everything. So you had to know what was it that they kept and that they were strict about. Um, Okay, Um, so now the Gemara says maybe the Mishnah is only referring to one witness. Uh, and not both of the witnesses. Um, and if, let's say, uh, Kuti signs first, and the next one, the second witness, is a Jew, so maybe that's valid, because it shows that the Jew, right, is basically saying, ah, I, I can vouch for this Kuti, he's a good guy, he knows the law, uh, and he's careful with his observance, so that's why I signed underneath. Um, so then this would prove that both witnesses were there to sign together, right? And that the Jew signed second in order to show that the Kuti was trustworthy. Uh, but not everyone agrees with this understanding. Um, Rabban Gamliel seems to argue and says even if both of the witnesses were Kutim, it's still a valid document. Okay, the next Mishnah on Daf 10, 
Um, documents from non-Jewish courts are valid, as we mentioned before, even if they're signed by non-Jews. Uh, and when we're talking about documents, we mean um, monetary documents, right? Any legal document that has to do with money, um, except for, right, the only documents that are not accepted are uh, divorce documents and uh, emancipation documents. Or another opinion in this Mishnah is that even those are valid, but if it's written privately, meaning not in a court system, in a, in, not in an official court, then uh, it's invalid no matter what, because we don't know, right, there aren't necessarily standards to uphold if it's a private person writing a contract. Um, so now the Gemara explains this Mishnah, right? What kind of documents are we talking about that are valid? Um, sales documents and gift documents, right? So-and-so is giving a gift to another person. All of these are valid. Um, again, because um, the document, um, again, we have the document which proves that the transaction happens. Um, this is important to understand that when we have a monetary um, interaction, um, it's the changing of the money that um, creates the interaction, not the contract, um, right? Meaning when you buy land, yes, you have a bill of sale, but you bought the land, meaning you gave the person money and you got the land. Uh, and this is a contract to say what happened. Um, okay. Um, but um, what's the issue? That in a get shichrur and a get nashim, right, for divorce and emancipation, the document itself is what creates uh, the uh, new situation, whether it's divorce or emancipation, and therefore it cannot be done uh, in a non-Jewish court. Um, okay, a gift document is also valid, right? Even though there's no transaction yet. Um, again, because of what we mentioned before, dina de malchuta dina, right? Because this is uh, the, the law, that this is the way the, the transaction works, we accept it, right? The government is binding according to Jewish law, um, which is, again, as I mentioned, a very important concept. Um, Rabbi Shimon says that even uh, divorces are valid, even if they're signed by non-Jews, because, uh, as we mentioned, um, what really creates the divorce is the handing over the get to the women to the woman and not um, the writing of the uh, document itself, as we mentioned before. Um, if the get is signed by ineligible um, witnesses, meaning someone who is not allowed to be a witness, so then the document is seen as invalid. DAF 11 tells us, what if you get a document and then there are names of non-Jews on the document? If they're characteristic non-Jewish names, so then it's valid because it's very clear that these are non-Jews. Uh, it was written in a non-Jewish court, so then it's fine. And the Gemara gives certain examples of these names. But if the names are ambiguous, 
So then it seems like it's invalid because we're not sure were these people Jewish or not Jewish. Um, and it's treated as if it was pr a privately written document, and then it's seen as invalid. Or another uh, opinion in the Gemara is as long as the court, uh, as long as it was done in a court, so then it's seen as valid, right? Or it's only valid in a place where Jews aren't allowed to sign, meaning a, a non-Jew can sign in a non-Jewish court, a Jew has to sign in a Jewish court. Um, okay, what about, um, so the Gemara says that it must be from an official non-Jewish court, as I mentioned before, it must be uh, an official court document. Um, so the Gemara talks about a Persian document that was given over in front of Jewish witnesses. So the Gemara says it's a valid sale. Um, you can use it to collect land um, to pay back a loan, right? We're not concerned uh, that it's an invalid document. Um, however, you cannot use it to collect from leaned land, right? Land that was put on guarantee uh, for the loan. Uh, and the idea is that because it was written in a Persian court, so then people don't know about it when it was signed, uh, and therefore um, not enough people know about it, so you cannot um, collect from something that was already sold. Um, if the get comes from overseas, and even if it has a secular name, it's still valid um, because Jews, as we know, and it's fascinating that already, uh, you know, 1500 years ago, they're writing about this. Uh, we know that Jews in Chutzlaaretz, uh, outside of Israel, actually do take on secular names. Uh, so if it's written outside of Israel and it has secular names, it doesn't mean that the people writing on it, uh, that the people who signed it, weren't Jewish. Um, okay, someone asked, uh, what about a will which does not conform to halacha? Um, it's an excellent question. Um, because a will um, is something that actually, as you say, uh, does not conform with halacha, uh, it is important to have a what's called a halachic will. Um, all of these things that we've been talking about uh, when we talk about non-Jewish courts, are things that um, do not uh, um, contradict Jewish law, uh, right? A sale is a sale, whether it's in a Beitin in a Jewish law or in a uh, American court, a, a sale, a loan, all of those things are uh, very similar. Uh, a will, on the other hand, is more complicated, uh, which is why uh, people do uh, suggest, as I mentioned, to have what's called a halachic will uh, so that it can um, fall under or it could be written up uh, taking our Jewish law into, into account. Um, excellent, excellent question. Um, next Mishnah on Daf 11. Um, a man, and as I mentioned, we, we just, we mentioned this at the beginning. If a man sends a get uh, or shikhrur to his wife or slave, he can retract it 
um, according to Rabbi Meir, as long as they haven't gotten it yet, right? Meaning, obviously, as soon as they, they receive their document, uh, he can no longer retract it. But if they haven't received it yet, right, he can call them on the phone and say, no, 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 I take it back, right? I don't, I don't want you to give it to them. Or uh, another opinion is he can take it back or retract it for the wife, but not for the slave. Meaning, once he sends out the emancipation document, that's it. He cannot take it back uh, because we we um, we say that it's better, right? The slave wants to be freed, uh, and therefore, as soon as the agent takes that document, um, the agent is already almost accepting it on behalf of the slave, um, and since it's good for the slave, uh, he can accept it for him. This is an important concept. Uh, the concept, the, the principle in Hebrew is zachin le'adam shelo befanav, which means that I can acquire something for somebody else as long as it's for their benefit. I cannot acquire something else for someone's uh, detriment. What does that mean, right? If you knock on the door and you say, um, I have a gift for your neighbor, can you take it for her? Uh, so the answer is yes, I'm going to acquire it for her because it's good for her to have it, right? But if you have, um, I don't know, something that's not good for your neighbor, uh, so then you're not going to want to take it for uh, the neighbor because it's to their detriment. Um, so here, uh, the question is, right, is a get. Uh, so first of all, a, an emancipation is to their benefit. Therefore, the agent accepts it for the uh, slave, and therefore he can take it back. Um, it seems from this mission, and we're always going to discuss this, right? Um, is divorce good for the wife? Uh, now, again, we can, this is a much larger conversation, and I think it's, uh, we'll discuss it more as the, the Masechet goes on. Um, but definitely in the time of the Gemara, uh, it's not good for the woman to be divorced in general. I'm not saying always. Uh, but uh, it is important to recognize that uh, the woman is being supported by her husband, right? According to Jewish law, he must support her. Um, and therefore, um, we say that this divorce document is not good for her. Therefore, when the agent takes it, he's not acquiring it for her. He's only send, you know, getting it to her. Uh, and therefore, if the husband retracts it on the way, he can still do so. Okay, um, the Gemara explains this Mishnah um, and says, as I mentioned before, right, if you're owed money, so someone can always accept that money for you because, again, it's seen as positive. It's good for you to get back that money, um, right? It's advantageous. Um, but as I mentioned, if it's uh, not, not advantageous for the person, so then you cannot acquire it for them. Um, however, right, when the man says, give it to my wife, um, so then um, the, the agent does acquire it for the wife or the, the slave, uh, and you cannot retract it as soon as uh, the agent takes possession of it. Um, okay, can you, so the Gemara tells us, 
you can go um ah right we know that there's the the concept of pa pa is um the corners of the field that are left for the poor right it's a gift for a poor person so can you go to a field to get paya for your friend who's poor right i'm going to collect it for you that seems to be okay um or maybe no uh you maybe you cannot acquire it for them uh rather if you go and collect it you have to give it to the first poor person that you see and you cannot hold on to it for your um for your friend um so the gemara on daf 12 tells us um no this does work you could give it to your friend because any person can decide to give up all their possessions and become poor on their own and acquire the payoff for themselves therefore because you can acquire it for yourself you have the right to acquire it for somebody else um however uh, the gemara teaches us that a poor person let's say a poor person has their own field right a small plot of land they cannot take the payoff from their own field that's not acceptable um from here uh the the mishnah seems to imply that the master is not required to feed their slave if you remember we said there was a difference between the slave and the wife as cuz we said oh the man has an obligation to support his wife uh it seems then if that's the statement uh and it's different than the slave it would seem to imply that the master does not need to feed his slave um the gemara says no that can't be the case rather as we know um according to jewish law uh the master has to really take care of his uh of his um of his slave um however they could come to an agreement what's the agreement the master can say you know you can do work and the money that you make doing the work you have to use uh in order to support yourself meaning you you can have the money uh and then you go buy your food um but if he can't make enough uh to to um you know to live on so it seems according to this gemara that the master does not have to uh give him extra food uh as opposed to for the wife that he does um here the assumption is i guess that the slave can work for somebody else and make more money um another example since we're talking about uh, again these are it's an eved knani right a non-jewish slave um if the slave went to an irmiklat uh this is the city of refuge meaning um the the slave killed someone accidentally so they run to a city of refuge so then um so then the master doesn't need to support him uh when he's there but any money that he makes uh he uses for his own food but the extra money goes to the master again because he still um owns the slave um you might think that um the the slave can keep the extra money uh in the irmiklat so the gemara says no however if a woman goes to the irmiklat 
so her husband must support her um, because, um, right, if she's not making enough money from her earnings. Uh, and again, um, he can't make her uh, have to, um, um, maybe he can't make her support herself. Uh, the Gemara says, no, 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 he can make her support herself. Um, and again, since we were discussing uh, the the master slave uh, relationship, there's a machloket if the master can say, right, you work for me and you need to support yourself, um, right? So now the Gemara gives a case of a year of famine uh, where the slave says to the master, either give me food or set me free, meaning you, I can't be here and you not feed me. Um, so the Gemara says, what's the case? Uh, it must be that he doesn't have enough earnings to support himself. Um, and the question is, will people have more mercy on a freed slave and give him charity? Or they would even give him charity when he is a slave. Um, if the master sanctifies the slave's hands, um, this idea is that um, the master wants everything that the slave does, that he does, is going to be sanctified for the Beit HaMikdash, for the temple, uh, right? Anything he does with his hands. Um, so therefore, uh, what's going to happen? Meaning, how, if he sanctifies everything that he does, how will this slave support himself? Um, so the Gemara says this is what he does. Um, he, the slave borrows money for food, from somebody, and then when he earns money, meaning when he does something, when he produces uh, a product, that value goes to the loan, right? Because it can't become um, it can't become sanctified. It can't become a hektesh um, because as soon as he makes it, it's already tied to the fact that he owes money. So that money goes to pay back the loan and it doesn't become sanctified. Um, and this is true only if the money is less than a pruta, meaning this is a very small amount, um, because again, the master isn't giving him food uh, and therefore he's able to do this trick in order to have enough food to eat. Um, okay, um, let's say uh, a person I'm assuming accidentally, uh, but a person cuts off his friend's slave's hand, um, he must pay two things to the owner, unemployment, right, the fact that the slave can't work, and the medical expenses, right, and the slave has to now get food from charity, right, or no, he gets his basic food from his master, and if he wants extra food, so then he'll have to get it from charity. Um, so the question is, what are we talking about? What's with these medical expenses? So basic medical expenses go to the slave because he's paying the medical bills. Um, but if there's anything left over, it goes to the master and not to the slave himself. Um, and now the Gemara has an interesting discussion. Um, is it good uh, for the slave to be freed, um, right? Is it better to be a freed, uh, you know, person or to be enslaved? Um, so the Gemara says, well, the truth is, uh, let's say the person is a slave of a Kohen 
if he's the slave of a Kohen, he can actually eat truma, right? Everybody in the priest's house can eat truma just like the Kohen, just like the priest. Uh, and therefore, um, if he gets freed, he won't be able to eat the truma. So it seems that he's going to be um, in a worse circumstance if he gets freed. Um, and the Gemara says, um, right, and therefore, uh, to accept the emancipation document for him is not good. Um, but the Gemara says, wait a minute, so to the wife, when she gets divorced, she can't eat truma anymore. Um, so that doesn't work. So the Gemara says, right, also, if a slave runs away or the wife runs away, um, they can still eat truma. So there, it seems that um, they can even, right, remain uh you know in their current status but they run away uh they could still eat truma um so daf 13 tells us um that that's not true right because the master can sell the slave and then even if the slave runs away the slave can no longer eat truma because he was sold um, um so then that's not the case for the um for the slave Right. However, right, if the person is a slave of a regular, per, regular Jewish person, um, why is it a uh, disadvantage to accept the emancipation document? We would think, uh, right, obviously, and from all the movies we've seen, right, being a slave is terrible. Um, the Gemara says, no, it's not so terrible um, because when the person is a a slave, um, so then they could they could um, marry or be with um, the female slaves of the house. Um, but if they're freed, uh, then they cannot be with these slaves um, because now they're Jewish. Um, so the Gemara says, right, wait a minute, but if he's freed, he could marry a Jewish woman. Uh, and that's so much better. Uh, the Gemara says, no, uh, maybe the person would prefer uh, being, uh, staying a slave and being with this non-Jewish uh, maidservant um, because he could be more free with her uh, as opposed to um, marrying a Jewish woman. Uh, and it's really uh, a machloket throughout the Gemara, uh, whether it's, um, whether it's a, um, whether it's, seen as advantageous or not to be freed. Uh, and I think that this opens a much larger conversation uh, about slavery, right? I think that um, as uh, modern people, we see uh, slavery as, you know, a terrible um, way of life. Um, but at least from uh, the Gemara and, and reading the Torah itself, uh, it seems that um, at least, uh, again, I, I don't, I don't really know for sure, but at least in terms of Jewish law, um, the people really needed to make sure that they took care of their slaves, uh, and it wasn't, uh, you know, it wasn't uh, the way we understand um, the way we understand slavery um, in modern times. So uh, again, I'm not sure. I, I haven't. Uh, seen any, uh, any um, you know, proof one way or another. 
Um, you're right, right? Naomi is mentioning that we say, asani aved, we're thankful that we're not slaves. I definitely think it's better to be free than a slave. Uh, but it seems, first of all, don't forget, we're talking about, uh, you're talking about being a Jew. Uh, here we're talking about a non-Jewish slave had a very good um, environment when he was um, in the Jewish house. He was treated uh, as a Jew, as I mentioned before. Um, and I think that, um, you know, the Torah says, right, we should not, as Jews, we should not own other Jewish people, right? Jews are not supposed to be slaves. Um, and um, exactly as Zohar is mentioning, uh, a Jew who's sold into slavery is someone who um, cannot support themselves. And it's actually done um, to, uh, in order to um, um, support the person. So this is a larger conversation, uh, which I think we will have throughout, um, throughout this Masachet. Um, the last Mishnah for today on Daf 13, um, says that a person says, give this get to my wife, right? Or this get shikhrur to my slave, and then he dies, right? We don't give it to the slave or to the wife. Um, this seems to imply that there was no actual document written. But if he says, give this money to so-and-so and he dies, we give it to him, right? We saw this, um, we saw this previously. So the Gemara says, what's the case of giving the money to somebody after they died? So it's only if the money was already set aside, um, because we know exactly what money wants to be, what money he wanted to be given, right? It's as if they already acquired it. Um, now the Gemara asks, is this person who says, give this, give that, are they healthy or are they on their deathbed? As I mentioned before, on their deathbed, there are special laws uh, pertaining to that, right? If the person is healthy, so then you need what's called a kinyan. You need to acquire, right? Either lift up the, the money or the, the get, but you need to do a proper um, acquisition. Um, but, right, the, so the Gemara says, well, no, there's one case um, that's called Ma'amad Shloshtan, where three people are standing together. And, right, wait, let's say we have Reuven, Shimon, Levi. So Reuven um, lends money to Shimon. And then he says to Shimon, you know what? Instead of paying me back the money, give the money, right? I owe money to Levi. So give the money to Levi. Um, so uh, if all, if, right, if Levi is there, so then the Gemara says that Shimon can give the money to Levi and nobody has to do any acquisition, right? No act needs to be done, right? So that's one option. Or um, maybe the person was on their deathbed. Um, and as we mentioned, if they're on their deathbed, they do not need a kinyan to acquire it. Um, and therefore, if it's specified money, it's okay. And if not, then not. Right? Let's say a person was on their deathbed and, and he says, write a get to my wife. Um, we assume, right, and then, right, he's, and he still uh, asks of it, right? So we assume when he says write it, it's as if he's saying write it and give it, right? Because most people don't write a get just to keep in their closet. So write means also to give, it's new. Um, so they can give 
the wife the get, uh, obviously before the man dies. Um, and um, as I mentioned, this case of the three people, Reuven, Shimon, and Levi, um, the Gemara says it only it works for a loan, um, but it also works for a deposit, right? Reuven gave a deposit to Levi. He, uh, sorry, Reuven gave a deposit to Shimon. He can tell him to give it to Levi. Um, and uh, that it does work um, because, again, uh, it seems, and the Gemara on Daf 14 tells us, that this Ma'amad Shloshtan with these three people seems to work, uh, but it also seems to not have any uh, mechanism that we understand, right? Again, there's no kinyan, there's no acquisition. Uh, and the Gemara says that this is one of three things that um, works, but we're not sure why. Uh, so with this, we're going to, uh, we're going to stop, and uh, next week we'll pick it up uh, with Daf 14. Uh, I hope everyone had a wonderful Shavuot uh, filled with learning Torah, uh, and I hope that you had a really a, a great Chag uh, and wishing everyone a, uh, a Shavua Tov. Uh, if anybody has any questions, uh, you know, feel free. We have a few more minutes if you want to ask any questions, uh, feel free.